Hey everyone, welcome to episode 122 of the End Focus podcast. I'm your host Andy Corrigan. With me, as always, is Andrew Brown. What up? What up? And Tori Wassena. I can't top that. <laughs> you you don't feel you have to. <laughs> Pressure. Just wuzzle wuzzle or something that'll do. Woozle wuzzle. <laughs> Um, we've got a pack show. We're going to talk about uh, Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, uh, the newest announcement from Nintendo for their next release. We're going to talk about Carrion, Streets of Rage 4, Gris, Rock of Ages 3, and some Lego Super Mario. So uh, let's get right into it with our updates from the previous episode. <laughs> Okay, Andrew, I believe you have finished Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, or at least as much as you're willing to finish it. How was it? I did not enjoy myself playing this (laughs) game. (laughs) I think that's for a variety of reasons. I think that I'm going to be generous and say it's as much my fault as it is the game's fault, but ultimately I came out the other end of it not enjoying this game. Um, All my complaints from a few episodes back they still stand (laughs) (laughs) all the side quests so many side quests and i i gave them a slight pass in the last episode because i said well at least they're good for experience and then i i really got to looking at what they were giving me most of them don't give experience they give money and there is nothing to buy in this game (laughs) and that just goes into all the other items i just looted dozens and dozens and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of items i sold most of them there's nothing to buy them with so i just had just piles of money that just existed for no reason just a lot of things in this game just seem to exist for no reason they're just there so the game looks bigger than it is I'm not going to break down all the systems that felt that way to me. Just suffice to say, a lot of the game's systems felt completely superfluous and didn't need to exist. And I, against my better judgment, decided to play the future connected mode. And it it feels like the developers agreed with me on that point, because a lot of the superfluous systems in the base game are not in the future connected mode anymore. (laughs) And the game feels a, a lot leaner and smoother and easier to understand and follow and things are easier to grasp like the the rare monsters now drop coins that you use to buy the skill books to level your characters up so there's a reason to fight the rare monsters now and there's a reason to hunt them down they actually give you something tangible that feels like you're developing your party for hunting them down and it actually gives you something worth buying uh i have been enjoying the future connected mode much more than the base game uh, it's also because of the party uh and this is the main reason that I, I i blame myself for not enjoying the game as much as i blame the game because i i i tried to play the entire base game using shulk Sharla and uh, and Ryan, who's your damage dealer, your tank, and your healer, because uh, that's the first complete party that you get uh, until like 10, 15 hours into the game. That's pretty much all you have. So I I was pretty ingrained with that party, 
But it, it's a bad party because Shulk is pretty much your only damage dealer. As Ryan is s supposed to be holding aggro on him, keeping all the monsters attacking him, but he, he's actually he's pretty bad at that job. <laughs> and Sharla is your healer, uh, and she just does not have much utility outside of healing, and she's not great for damage. So I, I beat pretty much the entire game relying on Shulk for my damage, because when it introduced other characters who have other kinds of utility and other ways of dealing damage, or even, I, I guess, with the general guy whose name I've forgotten because I, I just did not care about any of these characters. Um, I guess he can tank a little bit, but I, I looked at the character, and this is another thing I complained about in, in my initial impressions of the game was the characters have too many skills. I still feel that way. As I looked at this character when I got him, and it didn't... It wasn't like when I got Ryan or when I got Sharla, and they unlocked they unlocked skills as the character level up. No, I unlocked this character. He was already the same level as all the other characters. He already had like 15 skills with eight skills that I could equip, and I was like, "What am I supposed to do with this character? I don't understand what any of these skills are. I don't understand how they work together. I don't even understand what half of these skill descriptions even mean." And then I went through that again with Melia, which was a huge mistake, because now that I'm playing Future Connected, <laughs> which base... Future Connected starts you off playing as Melia, and Melia is... actually turns out pretty freaking awesome, but when I unlocked... Very complex. Yeah, she's complex, and, like, the base game does not teach you how to play as her. It just, <laughs> it just thrusts her upon you at one point, and I, I looked at her, and I was like, summon elements, and then burst the element, and what? What? What is this? No. Ryan and Sharla and Shulk has been boring as hell, but it, it's worked, so I see no reason to, to change it. Uh, I, I really do think if I had been given an opportunity to learn how to play as the other characters, like what their skills do. I might have had a better time with the game, but I I just felt like the best plan was persevering with my boring MMO dungeon team and <laughs> just not enjoying myself. <laughs> so I can't completely dismiss the game like Obviously, a lot of people really love this game, but I, I did not. Uh, a weird side effect of it was is I actually appreciate Xenoblade Chronicles 2 more now because uh, <laughs> I, I, I've come to appreciate how much denser its world is and how streamlined the characters are. Like, characters in Xenoblade Chronicles 2 don't have 20 skills. That's an exaggeration. They don't have 15 skills and eight skill slots they have like five skills and three skill slots it's a lot easier to to manage uh so I, i'm i've always wanted to go back and finish xenoblade chronicles 2 and now i'm feeling a lot more encouraged to do that after playing this game because i i see the incredibly ambitious mess that this game is and uh, I, i'm appreciating how that developed into xenoblade chronicles 2 so someday I'll go back and play that, but <laughs> one of these games a year is enough, so it's going to be at least 2021 before I do that. 
<laughs> yeah, my my feeling was it when I finished Xenoblade Chronicles Two is that I wish uh, it was the story from one and the systems from two. Oh my god, yes. That that was my uh, my reaction to finishing two. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know what to say. I I agree with you. I I don't think the first Xenoblade Chronicles does enough to teach you anything. Uh, I think that's a fair criticism. There are way too many side quests. Um, I just, it's. I, I mentioned it last time we talked about talked about it. Um, that I know I liked it, but I can't remember anything about it. There's not much to remember. Like the story is okay. Like I didn't mind the story. It didn't keep me enthralled. And like I said, I did not care about most of the characters. And there were entire plot arcs that could have been removed and wouldn't have affected anything. Like everything to do with Milia and uh, the Hyentia, like, that entire thing could be removed and would have changed nothing. <laughs> like, but there is one, like, really good plot twist and then there's, like, four other plot twists that are just there just to be plot twists. Mm-hmm. And it, it got a little... It tested my patience. It was like, oh, well, I knew that person was going to betray me. That was highly telegraphed. <laughs> so, like, the one good twist kind of got buried under a bunch of other pretty bad ones. So, eh, I, I, I think the story could have been edited <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> uh, I, I do, like, love JRPGs, broadly speaking, but, like, I have to admit, like, 80% of them finish way longer than they should like they just go on you know there's that fraction too long mm. um, drag yeah well there's a point where there's always like a, a nice stopping point and then oh no then it turns into a god fight. <laughs> like, it, the, yeah it, it's always it always devolves into fighting a god i was just gonna say that it's like oh what a happy ending time <laughs> to fight god uh and that that's uh that whole thing is a large reason why i didn't do the post game in something like Dragon Quest Eleven because uh, I felt it had a good stopping point and like, it did I just... not, but okay. <laughs> I, I think it did, and uh, I, I felt like the events of the post game um, devalued things that happened in the main plot. And you know, I'm I'm still annoyed that post games exist as a concept. Like, if the content in the post game is so good, put it in the game. Don't hide it behind optional content. Anyway. That's a whole different argument. Uh, let's move on before I give myself an aneurysm uh, and talk about the latest Switch news. Okay, it looks like we're never getting a traditional uh, first-party Nintendo Direct. Uh, at least not yet. They did another surprise announcement on Twitter that uh, Pikmin 3, another Wii U port, is coming to the Switch uh, October. Uh, Pikmin 3 is one of those... Uh, storied franchises I've never played. Uh, I did own this on Wii U briefly, and then I, before I even played it, I traded it in for something else I really wanted. Uh, have either of you two played Pikmin 3 before? Barely. I had it with the Wii U like ambassador program when they were really desperate to get people to buy Wii U's. Like, if you buy a Wii U, <laughs> you'll get a free game. And Pikmin 3 was the free game I picked. And like, it, it, it was fine like i kind of resented it a little bit because there are a variety of control schemes in it and the one that i found worked the best was to play it on the gamepad on the wii u gamepad with touch controls because like you know you just tap on the screen where you want to throw your pikmin that was really convenient but all that 
shows when you're doing that on on my big tv which is what i want to play games on was just the big pikmin 3 logo i was like this <laughs> this is what i paid for my wii u for was for a, a tablet game I, I wasn't real impressed with that but uh, <laughs> uh i'm a i'm a fan of the pikmin series and i enjoyed the game i'm i'm interested to play it on switch uh but i <laughs> i am worried about the control schemes again because i didn't find the control schemes on Wii U, very user-friendly. Um, just to, because I have no idea about what the game is, uh, what type of game is it? Is it like a strategy game? I understand there's some sort of like uh, group element management, like the it's, Pikmin it's of different like, colors represent different things and you have to manage how they move and where they go. Like, what, what's that Yeah, about? it's like Warcraft 3 if it were made by Nintendo. It's Warcraft 3 <laughs> if it were made by Shigeru Miyamoto. <laughs> yeah okay more specifically yeah, yeah. Uh, like this game specifically came about because of his interest in gardening that was his pet project at the time uh when this game got developed like the very first one on gamecube back in 2001 uh it's basically a time management game like it has strategy elements but i think the time management elements are, are much more prominent because uh, you, you play as these little characters like these these are tiny little characters like smash brothers does an inconsistent job of portraying how big Olimar and Alf are, but <laughs> they're they're like a centimeter tall, and they get these army of Pikmin, and they have to go around the planet and gather up parts that improve their ships. And in Pikmin Three, you also have to find fruit that increases the amount of time that these characters are able to spend on the planet. And like red Pikmin are immune to fire, blue Pikmin can go through water, yellow Pikmin can be thrown higher, and there's all that kind of thing that determines like what pathing you go through and what enemies you're able to fight. So that's the strategy element there. But uh, it's it's a cool game for speedrunning or for maximizing your efficiency. I've always found them interesting for at least one playthrough. I've never been bored playing one. I've never been mad that I played one and I didn't like it. But of, of the ones I played, Pikmin 3 was the one that I was the most neutral towards. So uh, I'm not over the moon that it's coming, especially since it's coming October 30th. That sounds like this might be their big release for Switch in the winter, which uh, is not good. <laughs> I, I feel like they usually have something in December. Did they this past year, though? I don't even... Yeah, I think Pokemon would have been in oh, last year, but I can't remember the... Yeah, but like, yeah. Poke- that came out in November, but, like, Pokemon was... Well, we, we, we were all there for my reaction to Pokemon, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, but uh, that's about it. That's coming. I think it was a no-brainer that it was going to come at some point. It was an easy uh, filler title for them, especially with the whole COVID dramas going on. Um, yeah, so that's it. Let's uh, move on to what we've been playing. Uh, Tori, you've been checking out Rock of Ages 3. Yeah, what a a mixed bag of rocks that has been. (laughs) So, um, on surface level, you can basically describe it as a, a tower defense game, but I think in this one in particular, they're trying to be a bit more creative with it the general gist is that you're rolling giant boulders down a path to destroy an enemy's base and 
your enemy's trying to do the same. So both of you are also trying to put up defenses like walls and catapults and all sorts of things to stop that from happening. Um, so yeah, it's, it's like RTS tower defense, but it, there's a skill involved because you actually do control the boulder. Like you steer it as it goes mm. down. And that's been where most of my headaches have come from this game. <laughs> I don't know if it's a Switch-specific thing, but it feels incredibly unresponsive. Oh, okay. And that's not something you want when, like, literally speaking, these things steal like bricks. <laughs> um, Consistently, uh, consistent with the theme, at least. Yeah, which... <laughs> bra- <laughs> bravo on that, but not, not so much in the playability department. <laughs> um, because they've added other game types to this now things like races um and there was one in particular it's like a, a race down a track and there's like a little ski ball thing at the end so you have to go down hit as many targets as possible and then whatever your ball lands in in the ski ball thing it will multiply your score by that much so if you don't make it down you don't get a multiplier at all and this isn't the first like world and i just could not beat the cpu because I couldn't steer properly. I was getting stutters and slow down and just not responding. So incredibly disappointing. Hopefully that's fixed relatively soon, or if it's just a thing of it's just not the sort of game that runs well on Switch, which, given the art style, I don't see why that would be the case. However, presentation-wise, lots of charm. Um, I think we compared it to uh, Monty Python animation Mm -hmm. last time. Um, and it works quite well because it's, you know, old portraits and stone statues that are cut up and turned into like South Park sort of, well, yeah, Monty Python animation mm-hmm. that give little, uh, cut scenes before missions, but they don't actually tell a story per se. They just kind of make little goofy jokes about the time period that you're playing in. And this time around, they've got like a level creator. So you can create all sorts of goofy gimmicks in your level uh, that people can roll their their balls down or rocks and share them online. So when you first open the game, you got Make or Break, which is the subtitle <laughs> of the game. So when, when you go into Make, again, it's a switch with a level editor. It doesn't run too well. Um, I was ma- able to make a level, but it was a bit, bit of a chore, unfortunately. And yeah, much like Superliminal, I, I've got a knack for picking the games that just have, have a bit of trouble running on the Switch. I feel like they're just throwing them on there and go, it's playable. And <laughs> I mean, to be fair, you didn't pick it. We got a code, and I threw it at you. Yeah, this I put my is hand not up my genre. <laughs> I'm a big tower defense fan. Um, I usually dabble in quite a few. Like, it's a good mobile game, for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the the performance issues... And I don't know if it's performance or if the game is meant to run like that, and God, I hope not. You, you know when you can't quite tell if a game is acting slow because it's like some sort of design choice or if it's just gummy because it's not running well? Mm-hmm. It's in that area. Now, you've played a previous one before, right? Rock of Ages 2, and I had a blast with that. 
so you that didn't have the same control issues or is it just that this is a new mechanic um i don't i really don't know i don't remember having this much issue with it i, I played two on pc though mm-hmm. so i i do feel like it's a switch thing oh, so that's I, a shame. it is because it's such a goofy fun game it just i think it just needs a little bit more love to to really be all that can be mm-hmm. ah, well, sounds a bit rocky <laughs> you were waiting for that yeah <laughs> i had it on my private notes here for ages <laughs> uh yeah so uh yeah not doesn't sound great um not right now if it gets patched i'll give it another shot and i'll let everyone know but right now i'd i'd give it a miss unfortunately cool uh well i'll uh i'll take the next slot uh i have been playing uh gris uh, on PC, but it is available on Switch, and I, I've checked with people, and I believe it runs fine. Have either of you two played Chris or have any interest in Chris? I played a little bit of the opening. Cool on Switch. Uh, I believe so. Cool, Andrew. No, I, I own it. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> Someday I may even play it. Whoa. Uh, so I I, I played it because it was on Game Pass, and. Uh, yeah, it, it sort of helped me have something to talk about. Uh, it's pretty short. Uh, Gris is a game about trauma uh, or loss. Uh, it starts off in the the character Gris. She has a big poncho. She's got weird stick hands and legs. And she's in the hands of a giant statue. She tries to sing, uh, but the statue breaks into a million pieces and leaves her falling to the world below, which is a world without any life or colour. So as you play through the game, each milestone that you do brings a new colour back into the world, and you get more powers as you power through Gris's problems. Uh, This plays out as a side-scrolling platformer, so it's... (laughs) It's not quite a Metroidvania because it's it's got a the world feels continuous and flowing, but it's also not quite linear either. Um, I lost my sense of direction a couple of times, even though it feels fairly linear, just because of the the way the art style is laid out. Um, as you go through, you you collect dots that help you form like platforms in the sky, kind of like constellations. Uh, you'll get other powers, such as the ability to turn your poncho into like a heavy block, which you can use to weigh yourself down, uh, to knock you know, platforms down, or to ground yourself during high winds, or smash through breakable rocks, uh, or even just change the angle of like bendy structures and things. Uh, along the way, you get double jumps, you can swim, you'll learn how to sing once she gets her voice back, uh, which is sort of key to the, the whole theme of someone who's suffered a... a a big trauma and is pulling the pieces back together. Uh, the beautiful thing with this is it, it's very much a puzzle platformer and it doesn't use any more of its ideas more than once, so therefore it doesn't outstay its welcome. You're not just continually doing the same things. Um, and I kind of found myself feeling like it was a bit of a an Ori light. Just the way the the world unfolds, and and you get those abilities, and uh, something about the the soundtrack as well. Um, on the soundtrack, it is a key part of the story's delivery. 
Um, it's all made up of uh, soft pianos and pads, but then it gets like really urgent violins when you're in a stressful section. Um, those stressful sections are another part that made me just flash back to Ori and the Blind Forest. Uh, and it's it's all done in this really beautiful, distinct watercolour art style. It looks like a painting. The animation is really beautiful and mesmerising. And as you go through the scenery, sort of depicts Gris's frame of mind along with each colour she brings back into the world. Like it's it's completely thematically on point. It knows what its message is, and all these different elements kind of work towards that theme. Um, I don't want to spoil a lot of it because it is it does feel like a game of discovery. Um, as linear as I made it sound, like going through those paths make it are a large part of of the experience. Uh, I did find it quite a chill game, despite the serious subjects, uh, mainly because it's told in a a really abstract way, but it's like really charming, it's beautiful, and uh, it it, it was short, so it didn't outstay its welcome. I feel completely satisfied with my uh, time spent with it. Um, I don't know how much it is on on the Switch store. Obviously, I I played it for free, so I don't want to say yes, it's worth the money or or not, because I I didn't pay. Uh, But yeah, t- totally worth it. I, I think anyone should check that out because it, it's uh, it's a good time. Deals with some serious subjects, but it, it, the way it's told is just is just beautiful. Uh, Andrew, uh, I I spoke about this a couple of weeks back, but you have finally got around to Streets of Rage Four. I believe you were re- playing the entire series before you got that. Well, I'd never played the series before, despite its reputation. So. Mm-hmm. If I was going to play Streets of Rage 4, I wanted to at least look at the first three so I could know what I was getting into and at least give the illusion that I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) But uh, as it turns out, I I quite liked the first three and I actually managed to finish them, which I I did not expect to do because they are Hmm. early 90s beat-em-up games, which are, are not known for their friendliness (laughs) but uh, the first game was quite challenging to finish and the second game based off my experience with the first game was actually pretty easy I think I beat it on my second attempt Uh, the third game uh, that's a whole story (laughs) I'm not going to get into that because we just don't I just don't want to take up the time to do that but the third one uh, look up Streets of Rage 3 slash Bare Knuckle 3. There's a whole localization adventure going on there. <laughs> but mm. just, just before you get into meat of it, would you say that this is a genre that you've typically enjoyed? Like, I know you've played a couple of these sorts of games, uh, side-scrolling beat-em-ups over the last year, although one not quite a beat-em-up. It's a style of game that I, I played a lot when I was a kid, like especially the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle games on NES. Uh, but it was also a style of game that always really intimidated me because, like, you know, I was seven. I sucked at games, and here I am playing uh, arcade ports on a console that, like, back in the day, like, Nobody looked down on you if you used a game genie to play them because they were just that hard. <laughs> so, like, I, I played them, but I, I kind of built up this 
myth in my mind this this outsized idea of how hard they were they're hard to be sure but i got through the first three in in one week so like they're perfectly serviceable they're all in the sega genesis slash sega mega drive classics collection on switch that's what i played it on and all three of them are there and they're all they're pretty good like beat 'em up games yeah, I just I never got on with that. I was always just a one-on-one fighter kind of guy. So it's uh, it's not usually a genre I look to to play. But when I saw the art style of this, I I, I knew I had to try it. Yeah, it's made by the same people who did the uh, Wonder Boy and the Dragon Trap, the Dragon's Trap remake. So like, it's got a really <laughs> nice art style to it. And like, as soon as I was done playing it, I was like, "Is it, they're gonna let these people make a golden axe for now, right? Because <laughs> that's what I want to play." <laughs> um, but th- I think that, aside from that art style, I think what might be holding this game back from what it could really be is it's maybe too reverential of the first three, because like you know, those games are twenty five, thirty years old at this point. So I, I think what audience you're lucky enough to get to play this game because i think a lot of people are going to look at streets of rage 4 i i didn't even know there were the first three next so like, i think that's going to happen <laughs> a lot with this game um and then i sit down and play it and like one of the biggest obstacles i had in the first game was just figuring out how the grappling mechanic works because grappling and throwing and punching people in the face while you're holding them by the neck is like a big part of the game and i could not figure out how grappling actually worked because games in the 90s did not explain these things to you you were supposed to read it in the manual if it was lucky enough for it to be in the manual Uh, i tried looking on wikis to see how how it actually worked the wikis don't even say like i thought there was going to be a throw button like, you know, you press a button, your character grabs an opponent, and then you can start using the grapple abilities. Uh, no, it doesn't work that way. You, you just walk into people, and that's how it works. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it it doesn't work very well all the time. Like, it made sense in the 90s because the Sega Genesis, especially when it launched, it only had three buttons. So that kind of limited what they were able to do with a lot of games, and it did hold a lot of games back especially like the arcade ports like the big reason the super nes version of street fighter was like the version to have was because the sega genesis only had three buttons that was not enough buttons to play street fighter with and uh so that bleeds into like things like this and like i expected i expected there to be like a classic control option where like you walk into enemies and your character will grab them in Streets of Rage 4. But I expected them to modernize things a little bit and have, like, an actual grab button because there's plenty of face buttons on modern controllers now. This game does not use all the buttons on on the controller. No. (laughs) It has the exact same system. (laughs) So, like, I'm in situations where I was like, I really need to get to that turkey on the other side of the screen because the next hit is going to kill me. I am going to get over there as fast as... No, I want to walk to the other side of the screen not grab one of the five people in between me and the turkey and now i'm dead (laughs) (laughs) yeah um 
And then, like, all the unlocks that are in this game are, like, literally you're unlocking the classic characters from the original games. The, like The 8-bit, yeah. 16-bit yeah. characters. Yeah, yeah. It's the 16-bit characters brought over with the same animations. They've been supersized for HD graphics, so they look a little ridiculous. But they, they control exactly the same. They have the exact same movesets. They have the exact same special attacks. Like, even if you play as the Streets of Rage 1 sprite characters, uh, they'll have the where they summon their police backup who fire rocket launchers at the screen because that was a thing in the 90s. Uh, That's like the only (laughs) game where special attacks worked that way, but the Streets of Rage 1 characters, they brought that back for this. Um, Now... Yeah, I wish I'd played that uh, post... Uh, protest era because (laughs) Jesus, that would have a completely different context. (laughs) No. So, like, it's it's Streets of Rage 4 very much builds on Streets of Rage 1, 2, and 3. So I think, like, if you are my age and you grew up playing those games and you have really fond memories of those games, then you would enjoy Streets of Rage 4. But I don't think these games are doing enough to reach out to new players. I don't think they're doing enough to modernize themselves. Like, it's Streets of Rage with just absolutely fantastic hand-drawn graphics. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that might bring in a certain crowd, but I don't think that's doing as much as it could to give it some more appeal beyond that very niche group of arcade fans. Uh, one thing I did appreciate as someone who's not massive on this genre was its approach to difficulty and failure, um, where you could choose to just jump back in at the start of the level. Yeah, it, it did modernize itself that way. With, yeah. yeah, so you could have like extra power-up slots or whatever at the cost of your score, and if you're not a score attack person, which I never am, like that's, that's fine for me. It doesn't even affect... like your rating at the end it still counts it as the difficulty that you played it on i, th- I thought that was really good i like that a lot yeah like uh it's got a story mode and like you get three lives on each level and if you run out of lives you just go back to the beginning of the level when i played streets of rage one two and three on the sega genesis classics collection i had to play it like an arcade game i had to beat it front to back with the same set of lives and continues which is why Streets of Rage 1 and Streets of Rage 3 took me so many attempts to finish because <laughs> I had to really know the game to finish it. Whereas Streets of Rage 2 is actually pretty easy. But uh, uh, Streets of Rage 4, it does have that. And like when you do run out of lives, you can restart the level with handicaps on, which does lower your mm-hmm. overall score. But yeah, yeah big deal. Uh, and then after you beat the game, there is a full arcade mode, which you have to beat the entire game with one set of lives. I, I didn't even attempt to play that. <laughs> yeah, I was I was out at that point. Yeah. It was uninstalled. I was I was happy with what I'd played, and I was on my way. <laughs> well, I kept playing long enough to unlock a few of the characters because your score does get added to like an overall score you've earned cum- cumulatively in every attempt at the game that you've made, and there are clear markers on that bar that show where you unlock new things. So I kept going all the way to the end of it. And so I could see what I unlocked. I unlocked all the Streets of Rage 1 characters, which was interesting. And then it unlocked a new Mm -hmm. bar. And I said, oh, okay, this is going to be the Streets of Rage 2 characters, then the Streets of Rage 3 characters. And then it's like, 
what's here for people who have no idea what these sprites are who didn't play streets of rage one two and three there's there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing here for them <laughs> so I, it's too much fan service but a good game otherwise yeah i, I liked it a lot uh tori have you played that at all i played like the first level it wasn't for me because i just don't know the genre that much mm-hmm. i think scott pilgrim was the only one i played oh i love that game yeah there's rumors that was coming back i hope they relist that please uh, and bring it to switch you jerks um yeah, so that's uh, Streets of Rage 4. Uh, I recommend, but with caveats, uh, you only really get the benefit of a lot of what it offers if you've played the previous games or were a fan of the previous games. Uh, so before we get on to Carrion, uh, Tori, I have to ask you, what time is it? I do believe it's... Lego Mario time! Yes, we oh. practiced that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if yes I, we practiced that before. <laughs> Yes, we practiced. You'll <laughs> um, start so, snoring if I just leave him. <laughs> so you have been playing with Lego Super Mario. You've got some of the sets, I believe. Yeah, just a few, all of them, maybe. Um, I'm a big Lego fan and I'm a big Mario fan. And this is something that, you know, basically been waiting my whole life for. <laughs> and instead of going the normal Lego route of just making minifig-based sets for this uh, for display they've actually tried to do something that only lego and nintendo can do and that's to make a sort of interactive experience so what you heard before was the the mario lego mario figurine he's got a, a brain and a screen and a speaker and all sorts of sensors in him and uh, the lego sets themselves involve just kind of building levels kind of everyone compares it to um super mario maker i was gonna say it's physical mario maker it is i'd say that it more closely resembles you know the um zelda uh link's awakening dungeon builder mm-hmm. oh that was disappointing it was <laughs> well <laughs> uh, okay uh it's more like that but okay um <laughs> <laughs> i liked how you approached that with some reverie and we were just like there <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it's it's putting tiles together, and some tiles will have certain um, kind of like level gimmicks to them, like moving platforms where you have to balance Mario, and he's got an accelerometer in him, so he can detect how fast he's going. And uh, if he falls off, then he'll be stunned, and he can't take uh, collect coins for a bit, which is the whole gimmick for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll admit it's aimed much more for kids than it is for adults. Um, I I haven't. I tried it out once when I first got him. I see the appeal in it for kids. And then I basically just haven't done it since. And I just build levels because I like the idea of making like a Lego diorama out of Mario themed elements, like the different enemies and the different, there's Bowser's castle for one of the sets. There's the um, fortress they call it the Guarded Fortress. It's basically the little castle at the end of a level in uh, Super Mario Brothers 1. Mm-hmm. Um, this Toad's house. you got Toad and Toadette. Yeah, it's... It's basically a building system that they've come up with for this Lego Mario um, figurine to kind of 
integrate uh, the video game aspect of Mario with uh, the physical building of Lego. And uh, in that regard, I consider it a huge success, but I I think um, adult fans will probably go to more towards the sets like the big NES yeah, um, that's display the one piece. I want. That's the yeah. one I want. Uh, I, I haven't bought Lego for many years since I was a kid, but I, I wanted that, but it sold out everywhere like super quick. Yeah, I'm keeping an eye on it too, so I'll let you know if I see it anywhere. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it, it is for kids, um, but I still like it anyway because I'm a kid at heart. I guess I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my impression of it was that it was more gamey, like it was like going to be like a board game, but made out of Lego. Yeah, I mean you get. 60 seconds to try and collect as many coins as possible and reach the the end goal mm-hmm. um and that's this fun little gimmick on its own unfortunately the coins don't do anything not that i was really knowing what they could do with coins um one idea i had in my head is they could kind of procedurally come up with different courses that you could um complete in the app you know it because it the there's an app companion app for this that has all the instructions built into it and mario connects to the app as well to um kind of log the courses that you create you take photos you can upload them and share your creations with other lego fans um it is moderated as well so if you're getting this for your kids (laughs) (laughs) don't (laughs) you know what i'm saying i can't i can't add on to that to be honest (laughs) <laughs> fighting every childish uh, gym my system I'm sure there's probably at least one Lego rude bit somewhere <laughs> in there um, now I must admit we uh, went shopping yesterday for food and stuff and we were in, briefly in Target and I picked up a couple of the blind bags because they were in the uh, the queue section for impulse purchases and that's what I did and it worked yeah, so I ended up with a squid and a spiny, so they're sat on my shelf right now. Uh, I did notice the barcode on their backs and wondered if they played a part, so I guess that's what Mario scans. Yeah, he's got basically a glorified barcode scanner underneath him. Um, so the enemies, they all do have slightly different gimmicks. Um, Mario plays different sound effects depending on what he's stomping on. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that the ghost enemies like Boo and Peeper, if he tries to stomp on them, he won't actually get any coins from them. He'll just kind of get scared. Yeah. Um, the bob you stomp once and it basically starts a timer. You can hear the hissing. <laughs> and so you have to stomp him as many times as possible. It's like a... Um, oh, what's the word? Where you try to hold out for as long as possible. It's like an all or nothing sort of gimmick. If Mario's on the bob bomb when it explodes, he gets no coins. <laughs> um, so th- they've thought it through. Like, the people who have made these sets are Mario fans. Uh, he plays little different music depending on the obstacles that he's on. Like, he'll play Bowser boss music when he's fighting the Bowser in the Bowser's Castle set. Just said mm-hmm. Bowser a lot there. Um, yeah, lots of little Easter eggs that you know Mario fans will appreciate but ultimately that's that's all it is it's just easter eggs if you happen to know yeah it sounds interesting it's definitely I'm 
definitely not the demographic for this. Um, I'd ask Andrew, but I'm pretty sure I already know the answer to that. Yeah, I don't think I've convinced him, have I? (laughs) 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 Yeah, that's a no. I'm in my mid-30s now, and I can't believe I'm saying that. But, like, at this point in my life, if it's not a video game, I really, I don't make time for it. Like, I, I have... I don't see the appeal in toys anymore, and I had quite a large toy collection, including Legos, when I was a kid, but when I look at this now, I'm like, why? <laughs> so, I, it's not for me. They're not toys, they're action figures. Yeah. It's a hobby. <laughs> they're dolls, Andy. Your G.I. Joes are dolls. <laughs> hey, I'll have you know, English G.I. Joes are very different to uh, American G.I. Joes. Oh, are they called Wallies? No, ours were like t- tiny little five-inch figurines, and what I think was your G.I. Joes were called Action Man. I think so, yeah, that sounds right. Oh, Action Man. Yeah, and that was not a thing for me either. That was my brother's era. No, I didn't collect those. I grew up with Bionicle, so this is a natural progression for me. Hey, Bionicle, <laughs> there's another thing I totally did not get. <laughs> I read it for the stories, Andrew. <laughs> uh, I think it'd be good if there was some actual video game crossover, even if they did like a tile set in Mario Maker or you know something that interacted with the games. I think that would be neat. I don't know yeah. if that's something that's on the cards. But equally, because it's a Lego set, it's expensive. They want it to work on its own merits as well, I guess. Yeah, it's not like Minecraft where they can just convert it to blocks and call it a day. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that Nintendo basically said, you're doing, you are doing. can do a, a Nintendo line, but it has to be something unique. And so this is what they've come up with. I think it's great. It's not for everyone, though. It, it appeals to me more as a collector rather than a mm-hmm. a kid who wants to play around with it. Yeah, I do the same thing as what I did with Labo, and that was I'd build one thing, go, yep, that's neat, and then never do it again. Yeah, I'm, I've been considering throwing out my Labo because it just sits there now. Uh, the cat's room just... is my piano, so that's go. <laughs> that's a sentence you don't hear every day. Yeah, I'm still waiting for <laughs> Labo to drop down to $10 US before I get it, and when I do get it, I'm not taking it out of the box. It's just going to stay in the box with my Starlink. You're just going to have a box of boxes. They're collectibles. (laughs) (laughs) Now you get it. (laughs) They'll be worth something someday. Oh, you sound like my dad. He gets so angry when I open my Amiibo. Yeah. Oh, you got to enjoy it, for God's yeah. sake. Somebody in my family in like 2080 will take it to whatever the 2080 equivalent of Antiques Roadshow is. <laughs> oh, yes. It's like, wow. This is the gold Mega Man. This is the unopened it, Nintendo Labo. How much do you think it's worth? And they'll be, they'll be going, this is a kid's toy, get out. <laughs> well, I got bad news for you. This is worth $5. <laughs> 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 These pop vinyls, however. And Andrew would be like, yes, I'll take it. Thank you. <laughs> uh, cool. So well, uh, that's uh, Lego Mario. Uh, let's move on. Uh, more of a collectible if you're an adult, I think. But a fun Definitely. toy if you're a child. Um, okay, so the final game we're going to talk about is Carrion. I believe we've all played it. 
Yep. Uh, so, Carrion is a side-scrolling exploration platformer. Kind of a platformer. Uh, it's a horror game, but it's one of those where you are the horror. Uh, you play a pulsating mass of flesh, bone, and tendrils and tentacles that escapes a lab uh, deep under city streets, and your goal is to escape. Um, so before we get on to the actual like exploration side and the level design, um, I love the way this creature moves. Oh uh, yes, it's kind of like floaty because of the the tendrils that shoot out when you move along, but it's satisfying and really well animated for for the kind of pixel art it is. Um, there is a mechanic on this where it's uh, what do we call it biomass. There's like three levels of biomass uh, that you you get as you go through, which plays into the puzzle because you, you have to lose part of yourself to go get through areas and things like that. Um, the bigger the, the creature gets, the harder it was to control, I found. I kept getting stuck on geometry when I was like at the, the biggest level. Yeah, me too. Yeah, he, he starts folding around corners and stuff. Yeah, and like I, I kept getting stuck in like U-bends and stuff. Which is a little, a little frustrating. Get, get the plunger. Yeah, yeah, when you're at the level three, like biomass size, it controls kind of like a train that has three cars mm-hmm. on it. And like when you're when you push forward, like it'll move from the front, and if you move back, it'll switch control to the back of the biomass. But mm. like a lot of the times, I found I wanted to move from the middle. And my brain thought I could do that, but the game was like, "No, you yes. can't do that." So yes. that was where I ran into the most trouble moving. But when you're just at the level one or level two biomass, it, it moves pretty dang good. <laughs> yeah, I was just enthralled with how it moved, and uh, especially early on, I was just exploring more just because of how fun it was to get around. Um, yeah. It's yeah, it's not really a platformer, is it? No, not in the traditional sense. Um, so yeah, so you you navigate this lab, you uh, attack its inhabitants, uh, you search for other areas of the lab that might have power ups inside big glass jars, the same sort that you emerged from. Uh, so as you're exploring. Uh, I, we've, I think, both me and Andrew have this on our uh, notes. Is about the authenticity of playing as a monster. Uh, a monster doesn't have a map, uh, so there's no in-game map in this. Uh, which is, there's been troubling for some because uh, it's kind of set out like a an exploration platformer, a Metroidvania, um, where you you know this this things things to find, secrets and, and things like that, and it's hard to sort of backtrack to areas to to find things. Uh, Andrew, I remember you mentioning that on socials. Well, because I went to the trouble to backtrack to the earlier areas once I'd unlocked more of the Bioform's abilities so I could mm-hmm. get the like the extra like we should say one the main things you do in this game is you're going through these this science lab and there's all these different biological samples locked up and some of them are needed for progression and those give you your main abilities some of them just give the bioform like 
more energy to use its special powers or maybe an extra tentacle to grab multiple people at the same time before it devours them in its many mouths, which is disgusting and impressive. But, uh, yeah, Yeah. so I, I went to the trouble to backtrack to find all the optional ones and I had to really learn my way around this science lab slash underground military facility. Like again, you're a monster and it's not entirely clear what this place is and why you're being held there uh but that's the main mechanic of the game and since there's no map i had to find my way through and like eventually learn my way around by memory and that was unnecessary and like the area is is designed well enough that you can thrust forward uh without getting lost Mm -hmm. but if you try to backtrack things start looking the same pretty quickly <laughs> and yeah you know. I, I i found it it nudged me well enough on the critical path um so like i never felt lost but i didn't really break from that critical critical path very often um so i don't actually know how much side stuff i missed well the, the only way you can really know if you got everything in an area is you have to go to its entrance and there's a little mm-hmm computer readout that's yeah that says if there's anything inside of it that you haven't broken yet which breaks the the conceit of the game a little bit because you're supposed to be a monster mm-hmm. and you you shouldn't be able to read computer screens uh, but yeah and like and just before you get to the very end of the game you find like a hub lab that shows the status of every area in the game so you can see like exactly what it is you missed in which little sub area but again no map it doesn't tell you where those sub areas are at it just gives you an idea of where you're at in terms of progress like it it only added like maybe two extra hours to go back and like learn where things were at and get the things that i'd missed my my bigger complaint about that experience was the the smaller upgrades didn't feel particularly useful. Like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the main thing that you get is expanded energy for the bioform, so you can use its special abilities, like hardened armor, so it can survive explosions, or uh, it can electrify itself, or just a bunch of different things you have to do to solve puzzles. Oh, the- the charging yeah. and the spike and that weird webbing thing. Yeah. It, some of these abilities I, I never used once. <laughs> and and the abilities that do use the energy, they use the energy so fast that even an expansion on it makes almost no difference. So, like, I was happy when I got a new tentacle because that means, like, I could grab three people instead of two who are trying to kill me, and that's mm-hmm. always useful when you can in- incapacitate an extra person. Uh, but... There were only like two of those upgrades with like 12 upgrades total to find so like i wasn't i was kind of annoyed at how unimpressive <laughs> the the upgrades were considering how much effort it took to get them yeah so the, the lack of a map thing I, I can get behind the idea that it's a monster it doesn't have a map but as the monster you're doing a bunch of really smart things to trick enemies, to activate doors and machinery. So I think if a monster is smart enough to do all that stuff, then it's smart enough to remember where it's going and uh, where it's been 
and how to get back there. So I think a map would be thematically okay, even uh, though that's what they're going for. I like that that logic can be used against it too. Yeah. Because if you're smart enough to do all those things that the monster's doing, then you're smart enough to know, to keep track of everything. Okay, get out. I'm playing, I'm playing devil's <laughs> advocate, get advocate that's all. Devil don't need no advocate. <laughs> oh. Well, luckily enough, oh. I just went the critical path. So, <laughs> well, it's like he, he, even to. our friend Brad Galloway of Game Critics, who apparently mm. bailed on this game because he just got lost, um, he he said that there was no reason there couldn't just be like a creature that has like some kind of echolocation that works as a map. Mm. And like, I I agreed with that. I was like, yeah, I, I wouldn't have been too annoyed at that kind of lame excuse but that was because i wanted a map so like, I, I i was frustrated by this part of the game but I, I also appreciate the developers really committing to their vision for it and there was kind of a navigation tool you could do a raw and that would indicate the area of a, a save point or a mm. uh, like a, a, a bit where your creature can like infest the level i can't think of a better term for that um and that kind of did help me in the moments where I was uh, not sure where to go next. Yeah, but that, again, that only helps you with the critical path for backtracking yeah, and finding... Yeah, like, there are like, things around the level that, like, indicate where the exits are at and, like, where the the optional DNA tanks that you can absorb are at. There's always a little icon on the wall that indicates... That's what's in the next room, but you have to find that icon. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. like, there was some thought put into like the level design to keep you directed and to mm-hmm. clue you into what is coming up next. But the absence of a map was felt. Yeah. Uh, now you alluded to you can uh, you burst into rooms. You'll hit enemies with your tentacles. You can eat them. Sort of uh, regain your health, which is just never boring. Um, the combat I wish was a little tighter. Like aiming the tentacle often felt a little off and a bit finicky, mm-hmm. and I didn't always know what I'd grabbed, um, which cost me a couple of times. Mm. Um, I think that I, might just be a consequence of being translated to joysticks, because I. I I was just about yeah, to say. So I played on PC, but I played on gamepad, so I could have the switch. Uh, style experience if i played with mouse and keyboard i think that would have been less of an issue for me yeah totally but like like i said once you get a few extra tentacles for the bioform you can basically just run into a room and just start flailing around with the right joystick and (laughs) the bioform will just grab everything and just start throwing everything all over the place which is mindless but satisfying yeah, my, my favorite parts were right near the end when I was pretty much fully powered and I could just tear through like whole crowds of enemies really, really easily and just, you know, fling them around, pull some into a do you know, do the powers. Like it, it's it's a proper monstrous power fantasy in that regard. Um now some of the puzzles uh involve sort of shifting the body mass up and down, which is something we talked about. Uh, so you you get pools where you can drop off a bit of your body mass so you can make yourself smaller the benefit of that is because some of the abilities are gated to your creature's size Um, so some are only available when you're at a smaller mass which is like that uh, 
webbing tendril that sticks enemies to the walls or invisibility uh some you need to be bigger for like the charge or, or the spikes that was a good uh good power up there is some crossover there's like a, a a mind control that you get laid on which you can do at any point no matter what size you are uh yeah the getting around the areas using figuring out where to change his creature size i thought that was really nifty uh, i like that and it kept the uh, abilities at my disposal sort of fresh from from bit to bit i, I like that a lot it, it wasn't just here's a bunch of powers going nuts it, it did sort of keep you controlled from that element now did anyone get any bugs i had a few buggy moments not that i remember so uh flashbacks which we're going to talk about in a second um, I had a flashback where I performed the necessary action and then the follow-up thing didn't trigger. Uh, and then I had something uh, late on in the game as well that happened with the creature where I couldn't get through to the next area just because something didn't happen and I'd like lost 20 minutes to searching before I decided to go back to an older checkpoint save. Uh, the save system in this is really good for that. Um, it does like staggered auto checkpoint saves so you can always go back a little bit further if you get into trouble. I don't know if that is an intentional thing because of the bug system. It sort of implies that they had issues with that at some point. Um, yeah, uh, the flashbacks. Uh, ironically, they control like the really old game flashback. Uh, <laughs> they oh. do, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I found they controlled a bit terribly... Uh, and it's a bit like cinematic platformery, uh, where it's got that that weird wading to it, and it's very slow. Um, equally, I don't think they really added a lot. So the the flashbacks of the day give, give you some sort of story. Um, I only hit three flashbacks. It's possible because I was just going down the critical path that I missed a bunch of optional things that would have fleshed out the story a bit more but I didn't find them particularly interesting no, I think that was it, I think there was only three okay but yeah like 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 I often say about flashbacks, it didn't add anything I, I couldn't have already figured out uh, mm -hmm. just from what else was going on in the present of the story, so yeah yeah definitely it's weakest moments, at least they didn't last very long uh, and they themselves were, you know, little puzzly areas. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, last thing to talk about is really the the music, uh, which I dug a lot. I thought it really captured the the game's atmosphere really well, and I thought it suited the genre. It's a little bit um, John Carpentery, uh which, um, you know, it's got the sci-fi tone because of, you know, what you're playing as. But, uh, yeah, I thought that f fit really well and really helped with the atmosphere side of things as, you, as you're as you playing as this monstrous thing. Anyone else think that was particularly of note? Or? It must have done a good job of uh, meshing with the, the theme of the game because I don't remember much of the music at all. <laughs> that, and, and I mean that in a good way. Yeah, it's 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 really subtle, but... It just fits it perfectly. Uh, and when I say John Carpenter, I don't mean like the big, you know, dark electronic stabs. It's just got this really neat sci-fi tone to it. Uh, I, I'd like to listen to it out of context of the game. 
just to see it's a good workout soundtrack yeah yeah see what i think of it there uh yeah andrew did you like the music or was it just something you didn't pick up on i i don't remember it at all and that that either might be me my own personal weakness rearing again or it might be like tori mm-hmm. said it's like it's a good soundtrack that doesn't intrude or stand out in any way which can be a compliment mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh, I, I thought it was really cool uh it was just just atmospheric enough that it, it sort of bolstered that feeling of being a, a horrendous creature <laughs> or as i call it life um <laughs> so yeah Ooh. uh i liked it a lot overall despite the the caveats about the you know it missing a map i i feel like that's something they might add um it really is the archetypal uh devolver game really isn't it definitely it's very morbid and warped and and violent and well, they're saying that Gris was a Devolver game as well, and that's not particularly violent. I had no. a bit of a Devolver-centric week this week. That's always a good thing. Hmm. Um, so yeah, so final thoughts, you you liked it, Tori? Yeah, I liked what I've played so far, about like an hour and a half, I think. Okay. Uh, it's it's not that long, you'll, you'll fly through it pretty quickly. I just love moving in it. <laughs> yeah, it's so much fun. Uh, and Andrew? I liked it. Like, I don't love it. Like, it has some problems that I couldn't get past. And, like, I found the ending kind of dark but predictable. Like, yeah. Mm. <laughs> but it, it, it's yeah. a unique release. It's worth one playthrough, at least. Uh, it, it's not, mm-hmm. not going to be forgotten. But I'm not also going to be you know, constantly citing this as an example of what this game should have done, which is a terrible way of talking about games in the first place, but I'm not going to fall into that trap with this one. <laughs> yeah, uh, I liked it a lot. I'm not sure if I would go back to it. I feel I feel like it's a, a one-and-done kind of game, um, although that, that movement... I, maybe we'll get a sequel that expands on it and, and takes it to larger places based on uh, how it ends uh, I, I won't say too much um, yeah so that's carrying it's ending it's exactly the way you're imagining it ends <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay it's true uh, so yeah so that's it that's carrying uh, and that's it for the show too Okay, folks, what are we playing this coming week? Andrew, let's start with you. There's some sort of platformer called Scully. I, I, I pre-ordered it based solely on the fact that it was a physical release on a week that I wasn't getting <laughs> a physical release. So, like, I don't... <laughs> I hope it's good. It looks interesting. It's got an interesting premise. Like, there's, like, these gods on an island... Um, and there's a source in the center of it that has a cork in it, and Terry O'Quinn and Matthew Fox have to fight over it before the island gets sucked down. That's lost. Is, it, is anybody getting this joke? <laughs> anyway, no. Uh, yeah, I, I got it. Uh, there are these gods. I, on... I, only, I only got it when you said Matthew <laughs> Fox, and I was like, oh, yeah, that one thing that he's been in. <laughs> 
He was in a bunch of bad movies, but I'm sorry, Matthew Fox. I'm sorry. You were Racer X and Speed Racer. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> and he he was really good as pilot in World War Z. <laughs> we're, we're being so unnecessarily mean to this person who has no idea who we are and will never hear I this. Like him. <laughs> he, 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 was, he was totally that sort of actor where you watch Lost and go, wow, he's going to go on and do really good things and then never heard of him ever again. But we love you, so. Evangeline Lilly. <laughs> As the Wasp in the MCU. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I like Lost, anyway. But anyway, uh, you're these gods on this island, and the gods' siblings are fighting, so he makes this skull that can either roll through the environment like a Marble Madness kind of game, or can also inhabit these bodies that are made out of mud that have different abilities. It could be really good, or it could be a complete disaster. We'll find out. Uh, and Tori? Uh, well, I'll also be checking out Scully. Um, I knew nothing about it, but uh, it, it seems interesting just in the, the way that Andrew described it. Otherwise, video games have just been like really annoying me lately, so I've gone back to a game I know I like, and that's Super Mario Odyssey, which has been annoying me. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I want to go back and get some more of the stars and that. It's just, it's like my uh, Breath of the Wild playthrough where it's just like, yep, I want to do that, but there's all this other stuff first and then the other stuff just doesn't stop and you never get to it. Um, me, uh, I have no idea. I think I'm going to finally check out the gardens between. Oh, yeah. Because uh, I understand that's short and I'm playing a lot of short games at the moment because they're satisfying and good when you're an adult. Um <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that, I think I'll finally play that, and I I kind of want to really honestly get back to Paper Mario this time, which I keep saying I'll do for weeks and haven't done yet. Yeah, you're not missing anything. Shut up, Andrew. I still want to experience it. <laughs> get out your Wii U, spend the ten dollars on the original Paper Mario on the Virtual Console, play that instead. No, I will play this one. This is this will be my definitive Paper Mario, and you will like it. Thanks for listening to this episode of N Focus. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure that you also check out our sister shows, PlayState and Power of X, that's PlayStation and Xbox. Be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively GamePodular community. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at GamePodular.com for updates, news, and other content. Links are in the show notes. If you'd like to support our shows, you can buy us a coffee or become a GamePodular Patreon. The details for both of those things are on our website. Thanks in advance. This episode was edited by Andrew, and you can follow Andrew at PlayCritically on Twitter, Andy, our lovely host at Flame Roast Toast, and myself at Stew2, S-T-W-T-W-O.
I just won't have any jokes in this episode. That'll be easier. Bravo on that. 